Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. As I said at the top of the hour, we're living in extraordinary times as members of Christ's Church. We are seeing uh, what I believe is a spirit-led purification uh, under the pontificate of Pope Francis. We've seen um, forces, doctrines, teachings that we thought had been you know, resolved and settled. We've seen them pop up again, not necessarily on his lips, but on the lips of others who feel a new freedom to say what they believe. For instance, Cardinal Robert McElroy of San Diego. He's a thoughtful man. Uh, I've read material by him before. He now has a piece that he published in uh, America Magazine, which is the Jesuit Journal. And he's speaking on, well, structures of exclusion. These are structures within the church, he says, that unnecessarily alienate too many people from the church. Structures of exclusion. All right, he's a thoughtful man. Uh, What's he talking about? Does he mean that Catholic bishops and archbishops spend a disproportionate amount of time favoring the opinions of the rich and the powerful? Uh, (laughs) If so, that's not news. Um, All I can say is that this has been a problem since the first century. Uh, James writes, My brothers and sisters, practice your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ by not favoring one person over another. For example, two men come to your worship service. One man is wearing gold rings and fine clothes. The other man, who is poor, is wearing shabby clothes. Suppose you give special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say to him, Hey, please, have a seat up here. But you say to the poor man, "Uh, Stand over there or sit on the floor at my feet. Aren't you discriminating against people and using a corrupt standard to make judgments? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose poor people in the world to become rich in faith and to receive the kingdom that he promised to those who love him? Yet you show no respect to the poor. Don't rich people oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they curse the good name of Jesus, the name that was used to bless you? You are doing right if you obey this law from the highest authority, love your neighbor, as you love yourself. If you favor one person over another, you're sinning, and this law convicts you of being disobedient. So favoring the wealthy and the powerful, that was James writing on this in the first century, favoring the wealthy and the powerful has been a constant temptation, and laity and clergy often show more attention to the rich and powerful. And there are many reasons people do this. Uh, We tend to flock to those who we find attractive. And the poor, are frequently not as well put together as the wealthy. They don't have the time to get the clothing. They don't have the money to spend time in salons. We tend to flock to those who we think might be able to give us something, prestige, money, position. This is especially true in apostolic work. I mean, there is a great temptation to approach the wealthy for the purpose of securing donations. Now, nothing is wrong with asking. But it is wrong, it seems to me, to pretend in intimacy and friendship as a means of securing a donation. The poor have every right to expect our attention and friendship as the wealthy. So if Cardinal McElroy is complaining about what James is complaining about, then yeah, I get it. But the truth of the matter is, he's complaining about exclusion of women to the priesthood and of homosexual men and women, to the Eucharistic banquet. Again, 
if he was saying that we're not opening doors for women uh, to serve Christ, you know, we're not actively pursuing, including women in decision-making, that would be fine. Cardinal Avery Dulles, before his death, said that the debate of women's or- over women's ordination to the ministerial priesthood, he said it's over. It's not going to happen. It's been settled. But he said, look, there are scores of opportunities to open doors for women in decision-making and service within the church. So let's go ahead and start doing that. But that isn't what Cardinal McElroy has in mind. He is talking about women's ordination, which Paul VI and John Paul II addressed directly, saying that the church has no authority to ordain women to the ministerial priesthood. John Paul II, in fact, said that this was a definitive teaching. The argument was over. Um, Cardinal McElroy talks about being on a pilgrimage, infused with an overpowering dedication to listen attentively to the Holy Spirit in a process of discernment rather than political action. This is fine. Uh, I do try to listen. My prayer life, uh, I try to make, it a two, make sure it's a two-way conversation. It is fine to encourage us to listen attentively to the Holy Spirit in a process of discernment. But in all honesty, Cardinal, why would I trust a man who urges me to listen to what you call the Holy Spirit when the evidence is clear that you've been refusing to hear what the Spirit has been saying to the Church in its tradition, its doctrinal documents, the teaching of recent popes, and in the Catechism? He refers to the document, Enlarge the Space of Your Tents, issued last year by the Holy See, This is meant to kind of capture the voices of men and women from around the world, and that will help lead to a vision of the church capable of radical inclusion, shared belonging, and deep hospitality, according to the teachings of Jesus. Good. Is he talking about listening to bishops from the far reaches of Asia or the heart of Africa? If so, then yeah, that's commendable. I mean, in this past century, the Catholic Church has seriously strengthened its universal international identity. It is much less Eurocentric, it's less Western, and this is to be welcomed. But sadly, there's something devious when he suggests that we need to be more inclusive and hospitable to aberrant forms of sexual practice. There simply is no way of avoiding the problem that the Church has taught that men and women are divinely designed for one another. Men are fitted to be compatible with women in a way that men are not fitted to enter into union with other men. Now, in public and polite company, it's not prudent to describe the physical difficulties uh, homosexual men face in the doctor's office. It is not pretty. But I'll say it again. It is devious to try and to import in our discussion of the Church's radical inclusion of all nations, kindred, and tongue, all men and women, to slip into that discussion that our inclusion should be acceptance, include acceptance of immoral acts. Look, Catholics should try to be radically inclusive as Jesus, right? Jesus called his Church to present a universal gospel a gospel to preach to all human beings without exception. For those who repent and receive the gospel, we're to make sure that they have a place in our fellowship, regardless of age or race or caste or ability or economics or intelligence, right? 
But Jesus does not automatically include everyone uh, who is in opposition to his moral teaching. He didn't invite uh, all the scribes and Pharisees to enter the fellowship with all of their false ideas. To the woman caught in adultery, Jesus said, go and sin no more. When he dined with the corrupt tax collector Zacchaeus, it's because Zacchaeus repented and was giving back fourfold what he had stolen. Yes, we want to make the proclamation of the gospel universal, but remember, it is repent and believe the gospel. You know, sometimes people say, well, Jesus never addressed the issue of homosexuality. This is, again, rather devious and misleading. He did address the nature of marriage on more than one occasion, and he used the book of Genesis as his template. Male and female, he created them, and the marital covenant was between a man and a woman. This is not about politics. It's not about ideology. It's not about American law and government. This is about fidelity to Christ and his church. We have leaders in the Catholic Church today, like Cardinal Jean-Claude Hollerich, who want to change the teaching of the church on these issues of sexual morality. Uh, Cardinal uh, Jean-Claude Hollerich has an important position on the upcoming uh, synod on synodality. He's been advocating for a change in the church's teaching on homosexual acts because he said, quote, sociological, scientific, the, the sociological scientific foundation of this teaching is no longer correct. Well, first of all, I wasn't aware that the church's teaching on the immorality of homosexual acts was built on the teaching of the social sciences. It's derived from natural law, and divine revelation, apostolic tradition. We don't want to be ignorant of the social sciences regarding homosexual acts, but history um, shows us that sometimes conflicts arise between the teaching of the church and the work of the sciences, which are always in revision. Hey, in the 19th century, uh, world-class teachers in philosophy and the natural sciences believed that Caucasians were a superior race. The church said no. Uh, at times, the sciences have said that there were multiple origins of the human race. The church said, no, the human race is one, and there is no racial hierarchy. Should we have capitulated to the science of the day in the 19th century? Of course not. We stood firm in spite of insults from the world. We must not only stand firm, but we must actively love those with whom we disagree. We cannot afford to slip into snide remarks or self-centered chest-beating about our orthodoxy. Uh, we're to proclaim Christ's teaching not like a hammer to bludgeon those with whom we disagree, but like open arms, inviting those outside the faith to come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Come, let us reason together, as Isaiah put it. In the first century, St. Paul was a leader writing to the churches. To Ephesus, he concluded his letter by urging them to prepare for spiritual warfare. I want to read this passage at length. You've heard it before, but I want you to think about it in terms of standing firm today. St. Paul writes, Ephesians 6, verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up 
the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. Outstanding words from the Apostle Paul. 